You know, that song has an interesting verse where it talks about going to the altar and his arms, God's arms, are open wide. And if you think about that verse and you think about that Abba Daddy we talked about last week, it's not him with his arms folded, legs crossed, staring down at you, waiting for you to make a move, waiting for you to get his attention. What that verse says is we come to his altar where his arms are open wide. And you think about that. That's a subtle thing, but there's some folks in here who that's not the kind of God they think God is. Life may have been tough. Life may be hard right now. And when I say that, Abba, Daddy, Father, you're kind of going, nah, it may be for everybody else, but that's not for me. My saying it doesn't make it true. But God's Word saying it does make it true. And He says that He loves you Enough to send a son to die for you on a cross. To shed his blood for your sin. And so that you might have eternal life through him. You don't have to give money for God to love you. You don't have to give money for God to forgive you. You don't have to give money for God to pay attention to you. And it can happen sometimes in churches where it can almost sound like I got to do something to get God to like me. Or I got to be real careful that I'm always doing these boxes, checking these boxes off so God won't get mad at me. There is nothing further from the truth. God loves you, buddy, whether you think you're too big a man or not to take it. I said last week, and it stuck with some folks, you, you can always give thanks because you don't have any idea what God has prevented from happening to you. Those unknown things that you know nothing about that he protected your family from. Last week we talked about facing, deciding what mountain. And that mountain, just a word picture basically, doesn't mean anything. I just picked snowy mountains because it seemed better than a hot desert. In this time of year, I'd rather look at snow cut mountains myself. Um, but 
everyone at some point in time, and you may not be there today, right now on Facebook, you may not be there right now. This may not be affecting you. Maybe things are going good. Boy, that's a good reason to give thanks. But sure enough, you, you, you keep living, you keep going from one day to the next, and there's going to be a mountain pop up here and there, a problem, a situation that you didn't anticipate, or maybe you did anticipate. And we talked about last week that if that comes up, if there's something like that in your life, and you procrastinate, which means put that off, that the more you put that off, procrastination, that's going to lead to more fear. And the more fear you have, the less likely you are to be able to approach that, which you know you need to do because I'm scared. We talked last week about some days, not a day of the week. You got Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Someday is, is not a day of the week. But to face that mountain, to face that problem, to do that, we got many of them out there, but there's one at a time that we can deal with. And so we have to make that decision to move in obedience. We make that decision to go forward, not based upon our own strength, because here's, we know this to be, I know this to be true about me, maybe not you, but I know this to be true about me. That if I try to do it in my own strength, it's going to mess up because it, it does every time. And just about the time I think I pulled one off where it didn't mess up, it does. <laughs> We've all had that happen. Well, I thought it was the right thing to do at the time. Did I pray about it? Of course not. I just acted on it. Felt like the right thing to do. Our feelings are not always true. Our feelings are not always the truth. But God's Word is truth. And God's Word is exactly the way it is. And if you hear someone start saying, well, what he really meant was, or, oh, that's what it meant back then, but yet yeah, this is the 21st century, those rules uh, those ideas, those thoughts, they don't apply anymore. Baloney. Yes, they do. His word is eternal. In other words, all of these opinions, all of this government, all of this social, politically correct junk that's going on today, it's all going to burn. And the only thing that's going to be left is the eternal. And the only thing eternal in you is your spirit. And it's going to exist one place or another. In heaven or in hell? Hell's a real place. Heaven is a real place. And the difference in that is not how good you are, not how strong you are, how tough you are, or even how much Scripture you know, bless God. The difference is the difference maker, and the difference maker is Jesus Christ and how he gave his life for you on a cross. He shed his blood. Jesus wasn't murdered. Wrong. He was a sacrifice for our sin, for my sin. And so 
When we come up to a situation that looks like it's an impossible one to face, well, the truth of the matter is maybe it is for you, but it's not for God. You see, nothing's impossible for God. The problem is sometimes we can hear people preach this. Not our pastor. Bless God, not our pastor. But we can hear, God, we can hear pastors preach this, that the way you're going to know how much God really cares about you is how much stuff you have. Baloney again. I don't have anything against baloney, but I don't need it, but it, I don't have anything against it, so don't get upset. But the truth is, that ain't how God loves. I know wrong. I know some people that could be described as filthy rich. And when I say filthy rich, I mean more than millions of dollars. We're talking a billion or more. And you know what? They're the most miserable human beings on earth because you know what happens when you have that much money? You, nothing has value. Think about that just for a little bit. If I can buy anything I want, if I can buy anything but love, you can't buy love, okay? The Beatles used to have a song, Can't Buy Me Love. That dates me, and I don't really care. But the truth is, you, you can't buy love. You can't buy God. You can't buy your way out of hell. Price has already been paid. But all of the money, all of the stuff, all of the things they have, they're walking around mean, ornery, complaining, because that's all they've got to do. And heaven forbid them ever give any of that away. I told you the story that the wife made the promise to the husband, you know, that he was going to take his money with him. And the wife, being an obedient wife, said, of course, honey, I'll let you take that with you. No problem whatsoever. So the man died. He was put in a box. He was getting ready to be lowered in the ground. The wife walked over and dropped in a piece of paper. Everybody wondered, what is she doing? They shut the case, and he went down. She walked back, sat down where the widow was to sit. Someone said, what did you put in the box? I said, I gave him a check for the whole thing he had. Think about that. It'll catch up with you, Okay. You can't take it with you. Nothing I've said thus far has anything to do with the message. But it does. Because eventually we're going to have to face that problem that we don't want to face. That problem may be a person. That problem may be a, uh, a job. Could be a health issue. Could be any number of things. But we've come to that place where we know, you know, I really got to do something for that. I've really got to do something for that. You know, there's a reason that the Dallas Cowboys, because Spurs aren't playing, Dallas Cowboys are Houston Texans. I don't care which one you talk about. There's a reason that the, bat, the football players start preseason early and start practicing. Because when they know they get ready to play the game, they're going to have to be in shape. Now, it's interesting, they also got to have the right equipment. And it doesn't matter if you're playing offense or you're playing defense. You're going to wear a helmet. You're going to wear some cleats so you don't slip and fall. You're going to wear some thigh pads, maybe unless you're a wide receiver. You're going to wear shoulder pads. You're going to have a face mask. You're going to be dressed for battle. You're going to be dressed to get in the game and play. But you've got to be prepared. How many times have you heard, and maybe you haven't ever heard it, but if you're a sports nut, you have. How many times have you ever heard a coach say, 
we, I just didn't have them prepared right. Well, that may be the truth. But sometimes they just didn't play right. This is a fact. Every single offensive play that has ever been written up is designed to score a touchdown. Now, you think about it. Every play. But it doesn't happen that way, does it? They're not a coach around that would say, the knucklehead scored a touchdown. It was only supposed to get three yards. That's just dumb. I didn't say stupid. Well, I have now, so it doesn't matter. But the thing is, is this. In life, God, that one who loves us, that one who doesn't have his arms folded fussing, but has his arms open and welcoming, saying to us, you're not alone in this game called life. You're not alone. The other thing he's telling you, Bubby, is that you ain't tough enough to do it on your own. You're not. Nobody is. That's why he sent that one I talked about last week, the Holy Spirit, the helper. You may say, I don't need any help. You wait long enough, Jack, you will. I'm going to tell you what, I thought I could make myself well. I did. I told my wife five years ago, I'm, 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 I'm okay. I know my left side isn't working, but I'm going to be okay. Just leave me alone. I'm not going to the doctor. Fought her tooth and nail. Finally, I got so sick, I almost died. They sent an ambulance, and they had to do that twice. And I realized real quick, you know what? I can't do anything on my own. It's going to have to take, in this case, it took doctors. Well, what about your faith in God? Well, don't you think I have faith in God and he provided doctors? Don't you ever. I know I harp on this and don't really care. You don't ever let anybody tell you if you had more faith, you wouldn't be sick. Baloney. Jesus walked right past more people that needed healing and didn't heal them than he did heal the ones that he did. And he could have healed the whole bunch, but that isn't the way it works. Does it mean he could not have? No, it means he very definitely could have. Does that mean I don't have enough faith because I haven't been healed? No, that's just where I am. The other issue you have is with Paul. If you don't know who Paul is, Paul was this guy who was an ornery rascal. He reminds me of the kind of person that I probably would avoid at all costs because he would be pretty much in your face at first collecting money for the wrong guys, and then he would have Scripture coming out of his mouth every time he opened it. And you know what? He suffered from something his entire life, and he said, you know what? I'm okay with that. I still love God. I still love. And he wrote most of the New Testament. So whatever's going on in your life physically, he knows about it, and he'll get you through it. You see, we come to the mountain and we have to prepare. Our problems that we have are just not about people and what they have or haven't done to us. A lot of times we get caught up in that, that we focus a whole lot of energy and that jerk or that knucklehead or whatever you want to say, if they were not in my life, my life would be perfect. Wrong. Wouldn't be because you'd still be there. You see, the problem's not the person. We're going to talk about what the problem really is. But before we can do any of that, before we can face it and go up it, we've got to admit, admit that we need help. 
And like I said earlier, for me, that's a hard thing to do. For me, not talking about you, for me, that could be a hard thing to do. Psalm 121, 1 and 2 says this. This is coming out of the message, so this is kind of combined. I look up to the mountains. Does my strength come from mountains? No. My strength comes from who? God, who made heaven and earth and mountains. In other words, he made the whole enchilada plain. There's nothing he didn't do, and he is the source of our strength. How does he do it? You've heard me say, by the power of the Holy Spirit that he sent when Jesus went to be at the right hand of the Father in heaven. His Spirit was sent back. His Spirit, one of the names is called the Helper because he knows we can't do it on our own. So we're at the mountain. We know where the help's going to come from. And I talked about getting ready for football. I'm going to read a scripture or passage, and then I'm going to go back to some of these individual passages. But just bear with me. Wear the right clothes is what I'm calling this. Ephesians 6:11. put on God's whole armor, the armor of a heavy-armed soldier, which God supplies, that you may be able to successfully stand up against all the strategies and deceits of the devil. Verse 12, for we are not wrestling with flesh and blood. In other words, contending on with physical opponents, people, in other words. But against despots, I can't get the ism on that no matter how hard I try. And against powers, against evil. Verse 12, the master spirits, that's who these powers are, the world rulers of this present darkness against the spirit forces of wickedness in the heavenly supernatural sphere. You see, that scripture is used in a lot of places, and it is comes out of scripture that way. It's called put on the full armor of God. But sometimes that can sound weird. You know, what do you what do you what do you mean by that? I mean, I don't I don't get that. Well, here's the thing. God is saying through this scripture, he has given you what you need to be able to walk into that office, to walk into that atmosphere where it's really bad. And I don't even want to go into that office. There's the guy there that I can't stand. And I know the first thing he's going to do is fuss at me for what I haven't done. And I haven't even shown up for work yet. You see, you get up. And whether you formally understand this and pray a scripture as my wife will do before she goes into some situation, she'll literally pray that script. You, you can have that armor on when you get up first thing in the morning. So that when you go into your day, your day is not just going to be about physical encounters. It's going to be their spiritual encounters that you're going to have. You're going to wonder, why is this person being such a jerk to me? Or why is she so mad at me? Or why is this situation the way it is? Sometimes it's not in the natural. And when I say that, sometimes it's not something you can pick up like that cup of water and say, oh, that's it. It's a cup of water. No, sometimes what's causing the trouble is something you cannot see. And it's caused by someone you cannot see. But the good news is there is someone greater than he that is in me. Okay, and that's the power of the Holy Spirit. Our fight is against sin, 
not the sinner. You don't know that person's circumstance, and probably you don't really care. You just want them to be nice to you. But what may be going on in their lives may be something they have no power over, and they don't know Jesus, so they're helpless. And what's driving them, the gasoline in their engine that's heading straight for your face, is sin. And if we're not real careful, we'll put sin in our spiritual gas tank, and we'll be driving that right at each other. And you think anything good's going to come out of that? Not likely. That's not what we're to put in our spiritual gas tank. Our approach needs to be like this. Jude one twenty three in the New Living says it this way. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Show mercy still to others. But do so with great caution, hating the sin that contaminates their lives. The people that come against us are not the enemy. If they come at you, or whatever the situation is, if you react in kind, and what that means is if you do what they're doing back to them, and what they're doing you know is wrong, and it's sin of anger, it's a sin of, it could be covetous, it could be any number of different things. But if your reaction is to immediately go at it just like they are, you know, more than likely that's not going to turn out real well. Because that's not what we're battling. We're battling not the person or the situation. We're battling sin in many, many cases. It's a spiritual battle, not a physical one. Here's an example. And you guys see this on the road all the time, on the, on the um, 35 out there, which will be built in the year 2075 or something. Uh, and pretty soon you're going to have to get off in divine, and you're going to get off in Pearsall to get to this church. I guarantee you, because they're making it hard as they can do to get here. So bless you for being here today. And for you on Facebook, get your guts. You can come. You can make it. I promise you. But here's the thing. I want to read this to you. One day at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Peter and John, this is Acts 3, 1 through 5 out of the message. One day at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Peter and John were on their way to the temple for a prayer meeting. At the same time, there was a man crippled from birth being carried up. Every day he was set down at the temple gate, the one named Beautiful, to beg for those going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, what did he do? He was there. He asked for a handout. Peter, with John at his side, looked him straight in the eye and said this. Look here. Look here. The man begging looked up. Because he was thinking he was going to get some money. Because that's what his need, that's what he thought his need was. Peter said, I don't have a nickel to my name. But what I do have, I give you. And then he says this. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. He grabbed him by the right hand and pulled him up. And in an instant, his feet and ankles became firm. He jumped to his feet, not struck. He jumped to his feet and walked. The man went into the temple with them, walking back and forth, dancing and praising God. Everybody there saw him walking around and praising God and saying to themselves, wasn't that the guy that was standing outside the gate just begging for money? Look at him. 
He's walking. Now here's the thing. It wasn't the beggar's great faith or great acts or great knowledge. The man thought what he needed was money. But what he got was healing. And it was spiritual. And he hadn't asked for it. And God gave it to him anyway. He didn't earn it. He didn't deserve it. That's what's called grace. And neither do I. And neither do you. See, because we may think we know what we need. And for me, most of the time, it's something, stuff. But that isn't what I need. What I need is the spiritual. The thing that I don't think that I need is what I really do need. And I can have all the money in the world and be totally miserable. This man didn't jump up with a whole bunch of money in his pocket or whatever they wore. But he jumped up and he ran around what? Praising God. And he hadn't been in one Bible class, I'm pretty sure. You see, that very big thing to that man, very big to anybody, to be told stand and walk and not having been able, that'd be huge. But it's spiritual. I used to think, I really did, and Lida can tell you, you know, I've never been rich. I was a preacher's kid. And, and preachers that in small towns, you know, that rich in word that was even in no vocabulary unless we were talking about chocolate. But, but the thing is this, I know some people that have a whole lot of money. And when I say a whole lot of money, I mean a whole lot of money. You read about them, believe it or not. And they smile. They have everything. Money-wise, they got everything. I mean, they, they, they have so much money, you know, the, but they're miserable. They're miserable. Now, they don't look like it on the outside. But you know the thing about money? You know, people say money's the root of all. Money's not the root of all evil. It's what we do with it that causes us trouble. But the other thing is this. If you have all the money, in the, if you have all the money like these guys do, uh, do you realize that nothing has value to you anymore? You say, what are you talking about? Okay, think about it. If you could buy anything you want at any time you want and as much of it as you want, eventually you're going to run out of stuff you want and then what are you going to do? Because nothing has value anymore. And yet the most valuable thing that is planted within us is not seen but unseen and it's a soul. It's a soul that's going to spend Eternity somewhere. And that's a spiritual thing and not a physical thing. I want to go back and read this just one more time. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. 
You see, a whole lot of times when we come into some things, the first thing we want to do is we want to handle it according to the easiest way to get out of trouble. And that's not truth. That's not operating in truth. You see, truth is a wonderfully convenient thing to stay in because it's got one, re- first of all, it's what God wants us to do, but the other thing is, you don't have to have near good a memory to remember the truth. But I'm gonna tell you what, you better have a good memory if you're not telling the truth because you gotta remember every lie you ever told. And at some point in time, you're going to forget which lie it was and to who you told it to. So that truth, that truth, that belt of truth, that doesn't come naturally. I've said this before. Have you ever had to teach your child how to lie? Or take something that wasn't theirs? We're born with that nature, thanks to Adam and Eve. But truth is something that we have to learn. And where do we gain truth? What is the truth? The Word of God is truth. The Word of God is truth. Don't start climbing before you're ready and don't take shortcuts. Follow God in what He says do, not your feelings. There have been more times where I felt like this is what I needed to do. Believe me, I didn't ask God, didn't even give that, it didn't even cross my mind, it just seemed like what I needed to do. And that was not what I needed to do. You see, you need to hear God, what he says. And you say, well, I don't hear God. I've I've had people sit in my office and they will say, I don't know how to hear God. Yeah, he's he's talking to you. You might not like what he's saying, but he's talking to you about that mountain that you need to go face. I don't want to go face it. You need to go deal with it. I don't want to go deal with it. I'll be with you, but I don't know that you'll be with you. My word says I'll be with you. We carry on these conversations with ourselves that keep procrastinating what we know we need to do because we don't feel like it's time, and God doesn't stutter. When God says go, you go, but you know you're never alone. Verse 4. I love this, and I've seen this actually happen. After he gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them. This is talking about a shepherd. And they follow him because they know what? His voice. This is talking about sheep, shepherd, desert, wolves, mountains, trouble. That's out of 10.4. John 8.12 says this. Jesus once again addressed them. I am the world's light. No one who follows me stumbles around in the darkness. I provide plenty of life to live in, light to live in. Folks, here's the thing. The sheep will get gathered up at night and get put in a circle, and the shepherds will be around them. And they'll watch those sheep because they don't move at night because they're worried about critters getting to them. But in the morning, this is what happens. They get ready to move out, and one shepherd will go over here, and one shepherd will go over here, and one shepherd will go over here, and they kind of spread out, and they start hollering. Now, I have no idea what they're saying, but the sheep understand, and guess what? The sheep that belong to that shepherd, they go over there. The sheep that belong to this, they come over here. Because why? It's because they hear and they know his voice. You see, you know God's voice. 
You know when he's speaking to you. How he's going to do that's between you and God. But God's not going to say, I'm talking to everybody but Jerry. No. He's talking to all of us. And we can follow him and we can trust him. So when he says, you go deal with this. Go deal with this mountain. Go deal with this problem. You're not alone. Follow him. Don't run off on your own. You're going to go off a cliff. But you follow him. You have nothing to fear. You have confidence in you. No, you have confidence in him. He says, I'm the good shepherd. And I'm with you and I'll never forsake you. So what's he telling you to do that you're saying, I ain't doing? Why? Because I don't want to. Well, how's that making life for you? More importantly, what's God telling you to do? And some of you right this second are hearing exactly what you're supposed to do. Coming back to that truth verse. Stand your ground putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. I'm going to stick on that one word, or two words, God's righteousness. Listen, don't become a Bible beater. What I mean by that is don't think that you got to take Scripture or take your Bible and slap folks up against the head long enough until they say, save me, Jesus. That is not Jesus. That is not the way he did it. That is not the way he wants you to do it. You see, when you come into that place that you're going to face tomorrow morning, or maybe this afternoon, or maybe in the car going home, not sure where, but at some point, this verse you need to remember. Don't get up your righteous indignation and go let them have it. Because they're going to come back at you like nobody's business. You see, in us dwells what? No good thing. It's God's righteousness, not yours. It's not how much Scripture memory you have, which is great. You want to have it. The Word I've hid in my heart. You want to have it, but you want to live it too. So when you walk into that place, you walk in in humility. I don't want to walk into humility. He'll kick me. No, he won't, because God will protect you. You can say, well, he's done it before. Well, God means what he says. It's amazing what humility will do. Honesty will do. Truth will do. Preparation by prayer will do. Acknowledgement that you can't do it by yourself will do. When you walk in to begin to climb and prepare to climb that mountain or face that situation health-wise, people-wise, work-wise, I don't care what-wise, his word is truth. And he is with you, and it is his righteousness that you carry, not your own. Verse 22, this is why I say don't slap them in the face with your Bible and expect them to come to know Jesus. Go easy on those who hesitate in the faith. Go after those who take the wrong way. Be tender with sinners, but not soft on the sin. The sin itself stinks to high heaven. Don't let their sin become your sin. You see, what can happen so easily 
is that we can come into something and because we can get scared, because we can begin to have fear, is that we go into that and we forget everything and we let our flesh take over where the Spirit is saying, I am with you. I'm not going to leave you. And it's not them that's the problem. It's a spiritual problem within them. But go gentle. Where did Jesus spend most of his time? With people that are really just folks he had anything to do with. Why did he do that? Because the religious folks were over here judging everything he did, thinking they didn't need anything because they had everything memorized, organized, and prioritized. And folks that didn't have anything, like the lady that touched the hem of his garment was healed, all she had was she knew, you know what? I got enough faith to touch it. And faith and healing came. That can happen in your situation today just like it did then. The Bible is an active, living body of truth. Miracles still happen. The power of the Spirit is still here. And while it is here, that which he wants to accomplish, he will accomplish. And when he's told you to go do it, don't debate God. I've tried it. I lose every time. Don't try to find somebody to be a culprit with you in doing something you feel like God says. Because here's what I like to do. If I can convince this woman over here called my wife, Lida, when I say to her, <laughs> I feel like God has told me that I need to do this. And then I add something to it. Comma. What do you think? My wife is smart enough to not answer that question. You know why? I don't consciously do this all the time, but I, sometimes I do still. Because if I do it and it was wrong, I want somebody else to blame. Well, you told me that it was wrong. God cares about you as a person. God cares about you and will tell you what to do. You don't need a co-conspirator with God. You just do what he says do, and you will see Miracles happen. I love this verse. And this isn't Philippians 4, 6, 13, so don't. Be anxious out of Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing. In other words, don't be scared about what you're going to have to go do, prepare. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Like we talked last week. Everybody has something to be thankful for because you don't know what God prevented from happening to you. You see, we walk around with no knowledge of that, but when you say, I don't have anything to be thankful for at all, everything's just bleh. Well, the truth of the matter is this. You have no idea what God kept from happening to you today or yesterday or tomorrow. So we can give thanks. We can pray. In fact, it would be a mighty healthy thing, for me especially, that if I'd pray before doing some things. Because in prayer, God will speak to you. And the very moment you think, he'll speak to you. Philippians 4, 7. 
And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. His peace removes our fear. And we can, quote, climb knowing he is with us. We're not alone. He's with us, and we know that by faith. Hebrews 11.1, 1. here's what faith, faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. I've heard this said on more than one occasion. I don't have enough faith, or I don't have any faith, or I, don't, I just don't have faith. And I want to say to you, and every one of you in this room right now, there are probably not too many of you that are sitting here right now worried about your next heartbeat. You believe it will. You're, you're not thinking about it even. Or when you put your foot on the brake pedal and you're assuming your car is going to stop, why? Do you have a whole lot of time to think about? Do you worry about every time you touch that brake, it's stopping you? No, you don't. You know what that's called? That's called faith. Well, if you've got faith in the low bidder for who made that break, it seems like the God who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in it and around it to have faith in him should seem like something that our heart's desire would be. I'm going to read that verse again, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. In other words, it's I'm expecting this to happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. But one of the ways that that sticks to you is through the Word of God. You see, Psalms 119.11, or let me go back. Ephesians 6.17 says, Put on salvation as your helmet. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Psalm 119.11 says this in the New King James. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. And the good news about that is, if you're not sinning, if that word is in you so that you do not sin, his power of his word by the power of the Holy Spirit being with you and in you prevents you from sin, you're not going to sin against God either in that situation, and you're sure not going to sin against that person you're going to have to deal with or that situation you're going to have to deal with. Hebrews 4, Hebrews 4, 12, 13 says this out of the message. God means what he says. What he says goes, and his powerful word is as sharp as a surgeon's scalpel, cutting through everything, whether doubt or defense, laying us open to listen and obey. Nothing and no one is impervious to God's word. We can't get away from it no matter what. And I like to use the shadow analogy of that. You walk around outside, it's daylight, your shadow's with you wherever you go. His word in your heart doesn't mean that you've memorized every verse in the Bible. It's good to memorize, it's good to learn them, it's good to have them. But here's the truth, if that's not active in you, then really what good is it? If it's in your heart and guiding what you do is you hear his voice saying, go this way, go this way, come this way, come this way. His word in your heart gives you, by his spirit, faith to believe that you can move forward in the direction he's saying to come to. Notice I said come to, because he's already there waiting for you. 
the mountain. The mountain, the problem. He's saying, trust me. He's saying, trust me, God. Trust my word. Trust my word that says the Spirit was sent to be your helper. It may be a health issue. It may be a marriage issue. It may be a job issue. It could be any school issue. But he's saying, trust me. You don't have to be afraid of the mountain. You don't have to keep procrastinating and dreading it because you're going to have to go up that mountain. You're going to have to face that at some point in time. And God is saying, look, I'm going to even call you out and tell you which way to go. And you are not going to be alone. You may say, well, it sure feels that way. Well, remember what I said about your feelings, not truth? His Spirit's with you. He doesn't abandon you. So whatever it is, however impossible it is, you may say you don't understand the situation I'm in. No, because I'm not God, but he does. You may say, well, you don't know how bad I've sinned. You don't have any bad things that I've done. No, I don't, but he does. You may say, you don't know how long I've tried to get along with this person, but he's a 24-karat dipstick, and I cannot get along with this person. Well, maybe you can't, but God can show you how. Because a whole lot of times it's about getting over us, not getting through to them. Let me say that again. Sometimes it's a whole lot about us getting over us than getting through to them. Because God wants to do something in us. God wants to move in us. And he's saying, you trust me, you listen for me, and I will see you up that mountain as we climb it. Amen? Here's what I want you to do real quick, and then we're going to quit. There are, there are some of you in this room, and I want you to raise your hand. And, and if you don't raise your hand, it doesn't mean anything. It just means you didn't raise your hand. But I'd like for some of you to do a little testimony here real quick. Some of you have had to face things that were impossible, looked impossible anyway, or that looked like you could never get over the hurt. Maybe that's another way to say it. That I have been hurt so deeply that, that I didn't think I could ever get through it or it's a job or what. How many of you have had that in your life and you have seen God with you, see you through it to the other side. Raise your hands. Keep them up. I want everybody to keep them up. Now, those of you that are wondering, is this just a room full of liars? No. Here's what it is. It's a room full of believers and trust in him. And they've done it in their lives. And you know what? They're going to do it. He's going to do it in yours. You see, these people that have their hands up, you can put them down now. These people that have their hands up are saying, I've seen God do it in my life. They're not getting paid to do this. They're not earning God points for raising their hands. They're raising their hands because they are not ashamed. They are grateful for what God has done for them and in them. And they are testifying, he did it for me and he'll do it for you. He 
will do it for you. And you can rest assured that when you place your faith in the eternal one, when you say, God, I am a sinner, I'm not even sure all that that means, but I know I'm a sinner. Forgive me for my sin. Forgive me sins that I can't even remember and ones that I'm going to do. But forgive me now, Father, where I stand. And I accept. I accept the blood of Jesus has cleansed me and I shall have eternal life because of the blood that was shed on the cross for my sin. And I accept your son, Jesus the Christ of Nazareth, as my Savior and as my Lord and as my King and as my Counselor and as my Physician and as my Healer and as the lover of my soul, as my partner, as my leader, as my shepherd, as my king, Father, I thank you. 